Ephesians chapter 4, Matthew 12, and John 7. The theme for Ephesians, one more time, well, today, one more time. Chapters 1, 2, and 3, Christian, you are wealthy. Therefore, chapters 4, 5, and 6, now walk worthy. And we are in chapter 4. And just to get you up to speed, what that means is because of all of the things that in chapters 1, 2, and 3, God's graciousness, his riches towards you. I'm speaking to the Christian, by the way. Okay, if you are not a believer, then really none of this applies. But I hope that you'll understand this is available for you. Okay, but chapters 1, 2, and 3 speak to the Christian and say, look, because of God's graciousness, his riches towards you that you did not deserve because of him taking you from sinner to saint. Because of him taking you from rags to spiritual riches, therefore, in response, chapter four, walk worthy of the amazing riches that he's poured out upon you. Okay, And we're in chapter four and we began to break it down to walk worthy of this great high calling verses one and two. The first thing Paul said is one way that you need to to be thinking to walk worthy is to, number one, walk humbly. That's in verses one and two. Verses 3 through 16, he basically says, walk in unity. Make sure that you're walking in unity with, with the brothers and sisters around you. That is, that you're getting along. Verses 13, and 15, 13 through 15, he says, walk in maturity. Don't be uh, twisted and, and, and moved by every wind of doctrine, but walk in maturity. And then in the beginning of verse 17, Paul has begun to say, Christian, Because of the great riches that God has poured out upon you, you need to make sure you are walking differently. Different than the world around you, different than the old you, different than the the way you used to walk. And it boiled down to four phrases. Quit, sit, put off, and put on. Verse 17 to 19, if you want to check and make sure I'm not lying to you, basically says, quit living like an unbeliever. Verse, but actually stop there for a second. Aren't you glad that it doesn't stop there? How many of you have tried to just quit living like an unbeliever? Okay. If it's just like, hey, we'll just stop it. it that's really hard, if not impossible. Verse 20 to 21 is a precious thing that you need to understand. It's not just quitting, quit living like an unbeliever, but it's verse 21, 20, 21 and verse 23 all say sit at Jesus feet. He's the teacher. He's the rabbi. You're the disciple. If you'll sit at his feet, he will change you. Verses 22 says, put off the old man's filthy rags. Once you've quit doing what you're not supposed to be doing, sit at his feet. If you'll just, it's as simple as putting off the old man and putting on the new righteous robes. Putting off the old filthy man, old man's filthy rags, the new man's righteous robe. That's in verse 24. So if you're a Christian, here's the deal. And this is where we're at. We're at. We're talking about putting off, putting on, putting off, putting on. Talking about a wardrobe as we go through the rest of these verses. Think about this. If you're a Christian, you are what? Born again. Now, if you come to me and say, look, I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those born again Christians. Jesus says, unless you are born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So there's really no such thing as a Christian who's not a born again Christian. If you are truly born again, that means then that you were born twice, right? And in your spiritual closet, as it were, hangs the clothes 
of two people. The old you, filthy, nasty. And the new you, brand new, righteous, holy. The old you is described, look at it, verse 17 to 19, in this way, empty, aimless, alienated from God, hardened, callous, craving stuff that never will satisfy. But here's the new you, verse 24, created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Christian, according to the Bible, Jesus took your filthy rags, right? The filthy rags of your own righteousness, your self-righteousness, and he swapped it out with his righteous robes. That's why we sang, I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. Uh, another song we sing, uh, he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He's talking about a swap. That's actually Second Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The idea is he swapped it out. And so therefore, Christian, you are a brand new creation. Matter of fact, a few verses before that, Second Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, is if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is born again. He is a new creation. Not he might be, or I hope he gets to be. He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold. That means, behold, whenever you see that in the Bible, it means, wow, check that out. Wow. All things have become new. Here's where I'm going. If you're a Christian here today, and I hope you are, at your core, the real you your naked self, if you will, used to be empty, aimless, hardened, calloused, craving things that never satisfied, alienated from God. That's what verse 17 and 19 says. But now, at your core, the real you, your naked self, is brand new. It's in the invisible spiritual world, but it is true in reality. The real you, if you are born again, is bright, shiny, squeaky clean. You are the son or daughter of the king. That is, Christian, who you are now. That is your naked self. Now, that's the real you. But here's the deal. Every day you take your naked self and you have to decide what you're going to wear. The old you is still hanging in the closet for you to choose if you want to. Paul says, and he's been saying it through this chapter, look, you're a spiritual. You used to be a spiritual pauper, but now you are a spiritual prince. So dress accordingly. So Paul's going to now take us. He's going to continue to be our wardrobe consultant. OK, he's going through our wardrobe and he's telling us, look. If you want to respond to God's graciousness, not to earn it, you can't do that. It's a free gift. But if you want to return uh, and respond to his graciousness towards you, if you want to live the abundant life, that has got to go. That is what it not to wear. But over here, this is what to wear. He's going through our wardrobe that way. He says, look, you're going to want to take that off. Woo. And you're going to, want to put this on. Put off the, the old man's filthy rags. Put on the new man's righteous robes. And in these verses, he also tells us why. He's already weighed in on some of the items. Remember last week, right? Do you guys want to participate this morning a little bit? Yeah. 
Yeah, I never give you a choice. Um, you're slightly more enthused than the last. I'm not sure. Maybe. All right. Here's here's your your job. Here's what you get to say. Whenever I talk about putting off, I say, hey, put this off. I want you guys to go, ooh, nasty. Okay, because that's your old filthy rag self, right? All right, let's practice. Ooh, nasty. Okay, let's try it again. Wow, this is really good. You guys are awesome. Um, But then when we talk about what you're going to put on, say new, righteous. Go ahead. Yeah, that used to righteous used to mean cool, but that was probably 15 years ago back back when I was cool. Um, All right, here we go. Verse 25. This is just review. Okay, therefore, putting away. Here's what to put off lying. And here's what to put on. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. And here's why. For we are members of one another. Remember? We talked about it last week because we're members of the same body. What would it be like if the if the eye lies to the rest of the body? Only 20 feet to the, to the end of the cliff. Well, it's only five lied. Psych. We depend. We depend upon each other. Right now. Here's the deal. Some some of you last week admitted that sometimes it's hard for you to tell the truth and you committed before God to tell the truth this last week, even if it cost you. Something. I won't ask you how that went out, but I'll let you remember that before God. Paul said, verse 26, new thing to put off. Be angry and do not sin. In other words, put off sinful anger. Ew, nasty. And do not let the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, put on in its place the prompt pursuit of peace. New, righteous. It's the old versus the new. And here's why he says, nor give place to the devil. We learned last week, if you don't deal with your anger properly and promptly, it's like you roll out the red carpet for the devil. You give him a place, a base of operations, and I promise you, he will use that base of operations to do what he does best. Steal and kill and destroy. And some of you last week committed to pursue peace before the sun went down. Did you? Verse 28. Paul again told us what not to wear. He says, let him who steal, stole, steal no longer. In other words, put off stealing and freeloading. Ew, nasty. That's the old you. But rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good. Put on hard work. Yeah, yeah. And here's why. Not to spend on yourself, but it says that he may have something to give him who has need. God is generous. He wants us to be generous. Okay, that that brings us then to our text this morning. Paul's going just through the he's going through the wardrobe going, ooh, nasty. Hey, new righteous. That brings us to the item in verse twenty nine. He says, I want you now, therefore. Because of the graciousness of God, how good he's been to you to put off the filthy rags of corrupt language. Verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. What kind of words proceed out of your mouth, Christian? 
Are they the words of a spiritual pauper like you used to be? Or of a spiritual prince like God has made you to be? I was thinking again, you remember a couple of weeks ago, right when we were beginning this, this uh, chapter, there was the big to-do about the royal wedding, right? <laughs> that's good, that's good. All right, what would you think if, if all of the interviews came back? Okay, they, they come back from their honeymoon and um, they were being interviewed. And every word out of the royal mouths, every other word needed to be bleeped. Ew, nasty. Would that be fitting for a prince or a princess? Verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. You saw it in the video. Corrupt means rotten. Putrefied. The word is used for old, rotten, moldy fruit. Does anybody else, does that take you to Matthew chapter 7? Verse 17, Jesus says, Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Paul is saying, look, you're a good tree now. The fruit that you produce should be good, not rotten. Now, I don't know if you guys noticed it, but I've seen it several times. The fact is that sometimes this happens over time. It doesn't always happen immediately, right? You ever met a guy and he's he's cussed like a sailor all of his life? And he gets saved. He really gets saved, radically saved. And it's awesome. But his tongue is the last one to get the memo. <laughs> he's a new creation, but he's like, I'm so beep grateful to God. I can't believe he'd forgive a beep like me. God is so beep awesome. Listen, that's, that's normal. It's to be expected because fruit takes a little while to grow, right? But eventually, you should see a radical change in what comes forth from the heart. Jesus said, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. Jesus said, look, a good tree cannot continue to produce bad fruit and vice versa. Matthew 12, verse 33, Jesus speaking, he says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad for a tree is known by its fruit. And then he turns to the Pharisees, these religious pretenders, these folks who are pretending that their tree is good, but all they're putting forth is rotten fruit. Verse 34, he says, brood of vipers. How can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. He says, the real you is going to come out. Verse 36. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. Jesus says, look, the, the words that come out of your mouth show what's happening in your heart. The words that flow over your lips reveal the overflow from your heart. Over time, the Bible says, Jesus says, God will change the heart and he will produce good fruit in every Christian. So has he done that in you? Is your language consistent with the new 
you? If not, some serious questions you need to ask. Number one, are you actually a different tree? If you are, if you can say, yes, I know for sure, then you need to ask the question, well, then what is wrong? Something's wrong because if you're a good tree, tree, he will produce good fruit in you. Here's the thing. I think that good trees can either cooperate or frustrate the process of God bringing forth good fruit. And I hope to help you with that. I think you can cooperate with it or frustrate the process simply by taking back control of our mouths. Come back to our text now. Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 29 again. He says, let no corrupt, that is rotten, putrefied, unfit for use, word proceed out of your mouth. First, I want you to see verse 29 very clearly indicates we have the ability to control what comes forth from our mouth. That word proceed, it means to flow forth. For me, I get the picture instantly that my mouth, your, your lips, form the dam that controls the flow of words in the, the world around you. And you are the gatekeeper. You are the guard. You're the one who controls what goes out of that mouth of yours. Just, just to give you a... a Quick survey. This is multiple places you can find where the words guard and mouth are used together. Listen to this. Psalm 141. This was a prayer of David. Verse 3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Proverbs 21.23. Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from trouble. Psalm 39. Verse 1. I said, I will guard my ways, lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. Talks about a muzzle to restrain your mouth. Some of you may be thinking, where can I get one of those for my spouse? Well, if you're thinking that Proverbs 13:3 is for you. He who guards his mouth preserves his life. <clears throat> But he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. Talking about guarding your mouth. Interesting, though, compare and contrast that with James chapter 3. It says very clearly the tongue is a wild beast that no one can tame. Listen to this chapter 3, James chapter 3, verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird, a reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. That always takes me to a quote from Pastor Joe Foch up in Calvary, Philly. He says, look, God knows what a beast your tongue is. That's why he put it and gave it to you in a cage. <laughs> now, think about this. Is, is the tongue untamable or, or can we control it? I think I figured that one out. James says, look, you can't control, you can't tame, that is, your tongue. Only God can do that as you abide in him, as he changes you on the inside, right? Because, again, you, the inside of you is like a well. And Jesus comes, and as we abide in him, he changes the well at its source. 
This was in my quiet time this morning. John 7, verse 37 to 38. If anyone thirsts, Jesus says, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So you can't tame your tongue, but Jesus will. He will change your language over time. Okay, but do I have any hope? Here's the deal. Listen, listen. you cannot tame your tongue, but you do have control over it. Here's how. Whether or not you let it out of its cage. Matter of fact, everybody try it with me. Just open your mouth. Now close it. Look at that. You can't control it. <laughs> or you say, well, no, but you don't understand. I really, I'm just not able to control my, my temper, my mouth. Oh, come on. Some of you, you come to church, you're yelling at your kids. Suddenly you walk in the door. Hey, praise the Lord. Everything is great. We, we have the ability to control our language. But so much of it is the open and shut feature. Will Rogers says, never miss a good chance to shut up. This author is unknown. The easiest way to save face is to keep the lower half shut. Paul says, look, put off the filthy, rotten clothes of the spiritual pauper. Ew. Nasty. Put on the righteous robes of the spiritual prince that God has made you to be new, righteous. Put off the corrupt, rotten language that's nasty. Put on the the language that builds up. That's what he's going to say here in the rest of the verse. Verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good. The word good is agathos. It's pleasant, agreeable, excellent, honorable. But what is good for necessary edification Building up. How many times have we seen this word lately? To build up. Paul says, look, you used to use the old words that were rotten, that corrupted. The old you would use words that would eat away, that would tear down. But the new you, the new man's language builds others up. I don't know if you thought about it, but maybe you came into the message thinking, cool, well, I don't really cuss much, so I'm, I'm pretty good. Good to go here. Well, this takes it to a whole new level of conviction. See, even if you don't curse, there's still plenty of questions here. Do your words tear others down? Or do they build them up? Don't forget. God, what's he known for? He loves a building project. How many times have we talked about that? He looks at you and he goes, man, that's a mess. But watch what I can do. You are his construction project, right? Ephesians chapter 2, we saw it. Romans chapter 8, we saw it. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He has begun a good work in you, and he will be faithful to complete it. Our God loves a good project. Everybody say with me out loud, if you're a Christian, I am a piece of work. Here's the thing. God loves the projects that are around you. You are sitting next to other projects that he is working on. Everyone turn to your neighbor and say, you are a piece of work. (laughs) You never thought you'd get away with that. (laughs) But listen, it's true. 
there's a whole bunch of projects that God is in the midst of right now. Here's my question. Do you spend time tearing down with your mouth that which God is devoted to build up? The people around you that He loves just like He loves you. That He's wanting to build up. And if you do, if you find yourself spending time build, tearing down that which He's trying to build up, is that smart? Is it ever smart to spend time opposing God's project? When your brother or sister leaves a conversation with you, do they leave a construction site or a demolition site? Are you a verbal construction crew or a verbal wrecking ball? You guys have probably seen that sign, right? Everyone makes this office a little better. Someone they come in and someone they leave. Which one are you? Are your words critical, harsh, demanding, proud? Or are they encouraging, kind, helpful, gentle, humble? Someone said, keep your words soft and tender because tomorrow you may have to eat them. It's good. I thought I'd also spend a little bit of time with my own personal confessional. You guys probably like that. Take some of the heat off of you. Unless, of course, you have my same vent. I like to tease. Does anybody like to tease? Am I the only one? Okay. I actually think that a little teasing, a little ribbing is actually a sign of a healthy relationship. I mean, even Jesus, uh, James and John, they were known for their temper, right? They were like, hey, do you want us to call down fire upon that city? And what do you call them? The sons of thunder. (laughs) I think teasing is okay. A little bit of it, right? Uh, My son, Noah, he has autism. He doesn't even speak, but I've taught him how to tease. (laughs) It's true. I'll say, do you love your daddy? I love my mommy. When he smiles, we laugh. It it actually builds our relationship, right? He's really good at teasing. He also, I've taught him how to burp on command. And I'm sure that's not going to come back to bite me at all. But but here's my confessional, I guess. Here's a reminder. There's a difference between teasing that builds rapport, that builds both parties up, that that makes our relationship stronger and teasing to build yourself up, but the other person to tear them down. If you're not sure how you're coming across, maybe ask. If you're a teaser like me, maybe ask some of the people, hey, when I tease you, does it come off as mean or inappropriate? They say, well, sometimes might be worth looking at your wardrobe. And if they say, have you got an hour? <laughs> then you really should look at your wardrobe. Might be time for some of us to take off the old man that makes yourself feel better by cutting other people down and put on the new man that builds another up. Now, in case I've left you out and you're still not convicted, look at verse 31. It's not really part of our text, but because it involves speech, I wanted to cover it real quick. He says, put off clamor, 
And that's any outburst where you blow up, where you lose it. It's talking about just, uh, in, in the Greek it literally means the cry of a raven. <laughs> okay? Put that off. And then he says evil speaking. The word is blasphemia. And it, it doesn't always mean to blaspheme God. It can mean to, to injure another. It's, it's the word that we use for slander, for speech that's injurious to another's good name. It's talking about gossip, slander, that kind of stuff. Paul says all of that stuff. Take it off. Set it aside and put on speech that builds up. And here's why it says that it may impart grace to the hearers. You guys remember what the word grace means? There's actually quite a few definitions, but here's what I want to read to you from the Blue Letter Bible. Grace, that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness, goodwill, loving kindness, favor. And then listen to this. The word grace is used, listen to this, of the merciful kindness by which God exerts His holy influence upon souls. This is how God changes souls. Right? By grace you have been saved, rescued, but by grace you're also being changed. Of the merciful kindness by which God, exerting His holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, keeps, strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to the exercise of the Christian virtues. In other words, it's God's grace, His kindness, that changes everything for the better. It's God's grace that saved you in the first place, and it's God's grace that is justifying you, sanctifying you toward the end. Listen, giving out grace, undeserved favor, kindness, sweetness, freely, undeserved, that is what God does. It's what He loves to do. He loves to show kindness to people that don't deserve it. And God has called us, if we're born again, if we have that, that set of clothes in our closet that we can reach to, He's called us to express His grace to a world of sinners and saints. And guess what? The way that we express grace is usually the primary uh, vehicle, the primary, primary de- delivery system for His grace is still our tongue. More often than not, His grace is expressed through your tongue with words like this. I forgive you. I love you anyway. I know you can do it. I appreciate you. I'm so thankful that God put you in my life. I'm so proud of you. I'm praying for you. God wants to impart His grace, His acceptance, His undeserved favor to the people that are around you. And guess whose lips He wants to use? Yours and mine. Would you all pray with me real quick? Lord, today I want to choose to set aside the old man's tongue and put on your speech. The speech that builds up my brother and expresses your grace toward them. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. We're not done yet, though. Just a little bit more. Here's another reason why. So as not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 7. Or, sorry, uh, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed 
for the day of redemption. The word sealed, listen to this, it means to set a mark upon, to impress by the impression of a seal or a stamp. This is how uh, kings would make sure that something was ratified, that it could not be changed. It was set in stone. They would take their ring and they would put it in a thing of wax. And that if a, if a scroll had that uh, king's seal upon it, that meant it was a done deal. It means to confirm, to authenticate, to place beyond doubt. Anybody notice the last week a lot of talk about rapture and stuff like that? Okay. Aren't you glad to know that if you've really been born twice, if you've given your life to Him, that it's done, it's sealed, it's placed beyond doubt? Aren't you glad that if you, it's not like if you cuss one time, oh, sorry, you missed the rapture. Do you notice here in verse 30 that Paul does not go the threatening route at all? Instead, he reminds us, because of how much we're loved, he reminds us, look, the Holy Spirit, don't forget, the Holy Spirit is a person. In case you didn't know that, the Holy Spirit is not some thing. It's not some uh, quantity. It's not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a person. And apparently, verse 30, he's a gentle soul who has moved in with you. And Paul says, why would you want to grieve him with such language? The word grieve there, it means to make sorrowful, to affect with sadness, to cause grief, to throw into sorrow, to grieve, to offend, to make one uneasy. To cause him a scruple. I didn't know that you could have a singular scruple, but apparently... It means to, to make one uneasy. Paul doesn't say, look, you need to change your, your mouth because if you don't, you're going straight to hell. No, he says, if you're going to heaven, why would you want to grieve the Holy Spirit who has already sealed you? And it says, why would you want to make him uncomfortable? I wonder how often, not just by our words, but sometimes by our deeds. That we, we make the Holy Spirit uncomfortable because he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That means he goes with you wherever you go. He hears everything you say. Why would you want to make him uncomfortable? Turn with me to uh, John 7. I believe that's the one. I, again, I, I this was part of my quiet time this morning and we're getting toward the end here. So forgive me if this is wrong. But John 7, verse 37, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. If you believe in me, if you give your life over to me, eventually out of your heart will flow righteous, living water, clean water. Water that refreshes others. Verse 39. But this he spoke concerning who? The Spirit. Whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. You see it? The Holy Spirit comes. And he wants to show the world that you're a different person. Two things that this says to me. Look, if your mouth is still spewing out consistently the old man, the old rotten fruit. It might be gut check time. Is the Holy Spirit residing in me? 
But here's probably more likely the scenario in, in most of the folks this morning. Chances are you're, you're still convicted, but it's not so much because of the, the Holy Spirit not residing within you, but, but the fact that the Holy Spirit convicts you, but still you pour forth mixed waters. Paul says, don't grieve, don't sadden the Holy Spirit that way. Don't make him so uncomfortable. And here's how James says it. And this is where we'll close. James chapter 3. But no man can tame the tongue. You can't tame it. Jesus is going to have to do that. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father. And with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. James includes himself in there. He says, in it, we do both things. And he doesn't say, look, you couldn't possibly be saved because of it. But he says, this is not right. We really need to look at this. We need to ask the Lord to come to to clean us, to, to have that water flowing through our lips. And in the meantime, we need to keep it shut. Therefore, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Y'all, never to earn God's favor, but just to return it. Put a clamp on it. Ask Him to come and to change you from the inside out to let those living waters flow forth. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You. In Jesus' name. I ask, Lord, that You would be with Your disciples here this morning. Thank You so much, Lord, for uh, Your desire, Lord, to to move us and to change us, Lord, uh, to make us more and more like You, to mold us more and more into Your image. Help, Lord, us, uh, us to uh, understand, Lord, the, the changes that you want, you want to make. Lord, I wanted to say that you want us to make, but really, they're the changes that you want to make, but you still give us the, the lever um, on our mouths, Lord, to, whether to keep it open or closed. And help us, Lord, to, to just as we've been learning, to quit what we're doing, Lord, to sit at your feet, to put off the old man, to put on the new, and uh, just to be... Thankful and grateful, Lord, for what you're in the midst of doing in each heart, each life. In Jesus' name, amen.